This is a crusade. This is a holy war against the deep state. Where are the dictators? Where are the strong men? Donald Trump is our instrument for retribution. I'm going to fight for Christians. I'm going to fight for white people. They have the Great Reset. We have the Great Awakening. And why shouldn't I root for Russia? Because Which I am. I want to see these people go through misery because of their grooming against our children. After the assailant entered the home asking, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? Those are the very same words used by the mob when they stormed the United States Capitol. I did nothing wrong. Welcome to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast, where we cut through the noise and help you make sense of the chaotic information space around us. I'm Griff Somke. On this episode of the Did Nothing Wrong podcast, Carl Folk from the Institute of Unreality and I discuss the phenomenon of clueless leftist live streamers. We also take a look at the upcoming movie Civil War and talk about how to improve the left's storytelling and world building. Stick around. Carl, great to have you on Did Nothing Wrong today. Great to be back. So, someone on Blue Sky brought this up a few days ago, and while we've talked about this subject on this program before, I want to address it again here. This person was asking about an internet personality named Stephen Kenneth Bondle II. He goes by Destiny, and he's got a thing for trying to argue with Nazis uh, using facts and logic. And he's so committed to this bit that he shared the stage many times with a guy named Nick Fuentes, as well as having him on his own channel. And he seems to think he can push back effectively enough on Nick's fascist screeds that the audience will be swayed and, I don't know, start voting Democrat or something. And I mean, bless his heart if he's serious about this, because one thing that we figured out years ago, I thought, was that the best way to deal with Nick Fuentes and guys like him is to make sure they don't have a platform. They aren't playing the same game as people like Destiny, and he's either too stupid or too craven to understand what's going on here. Yeah, I mean, I think we're past the point where most of us who have been watching this unfold for a decade can say, you know, this is something that's just aberration, right? Like, and especially with Destiny, Mm -hmm. Destiny's been called out so many times by both organizations that deal with countering you know, extremism and different forms of white nationalism and white supremacy. Right. And he continues to do it in such a way that, you know, it's the just joking view. Yeah. And that's, that's just not how this works anymore for anyone who knows what's actually going on. Like we know that that's an alt-right info war strategy for lack of a better term. And, you know, destiny, <laughs> we got into it a few times to the point where now destiny has me blocked Aww. and i think it's tough because people want to believe that you can sway someone like fuentes with better information yeah and that's just not the case right because they're not acting in good faith mm-hmm. and when you're dealing with bad faith actors whether it's fuentes or David Duke style personality, right? Like their goal isn't to have a real conversation. It's to run a circle around you while you give them the time and space to spread a message that is dangerous. Right. And they want to get their talking points out. They absolutely want to get those talking points out in front of a lot of people, especially if they're on a program like Destiny's or like Fresh and Fit or any of these other people that do have a wide sort of audience. And you find yourself thinking, 
the whole point of these guys is that they don't care if you laugh at them. They don't care if you supposedly, quote unquote, own them. They want that propaganda out there. Yeah. And at the end of the day, that's the whole goal, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's the same thing you see with certain styles of trolling from the same groups. They don't care that, you know, you might just be dunking on them in historic fashion. Doesn't matter. Because they're still <laughs> they're still getting their message out there. Yeah. And. You know, it's it's really, really frustrating because a guy like Destiny, he, he spewed his share of disingenuous bullshit about Fuentes and how you have to evaluate his use of irony and edgy humor before you can say for sure that he's actually anti-Semitic. And this shit just makes me want to hit my head against the wall because Fuentes himself has said the reason he uses irony and edgy humor is to be able to get the transgressive stuff in there. And he gets away with it because, oh, it's all a joke, bro. Well, exactly. And it's like unimaginable that somebody like me or you who's never met either one of these guys can see it and somehow they just don't well and i think i mean i think we just have to you know outcomes are what matter right and like with all of them the outcome's the same thing so i've definitely very clearly said multiple times both in social media and kind of in some of my writing that like people like destiny and others don't get that shield anymore. No, we're far past that. And the outcome for, well, we have to evaluate this in the marketplace of ideas shit is the same as, well, I'm just joking. So it doesn't matter because the outcome ends up in the same place, which is now you have Fuentes or whoever it is in that position, putting the most vile anti-Semitic and I mean, in in Fuente's case, neo-Nazi and fascist ideology out into the wind majorly. Yeah. Yeah. And this is what they're out there trying to do. And again, if, you know, Destiny is so, I don't know, naive as not to see that, then that's a problem in and of itself. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say, you're probably familiar with a book called The Jungle by Upton Sinclair. Oh, yeah. Okay. So one of my favorite quotes from that book is, quote, it is difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends upon his not understanding it. And Destiny has made a lot of money not understanding exactly what Nick Fuentes is. Well, and I think, you know, for me, I see this across a few of these different streamers, but also, you know, I I guess we could say, you know, uh, I, I hate using the word pundit in this case. Internet personalities. <laughs> yeah, like that. personality, whatever. Yeah, there's a level of empty vessel right. that exists where it's not about anything except viewership numbers, creating enough controversy to push their show further and get a higher percentage of the eyeballs of the internet. And we see that in so many different ways, whether it's Destiny, whether it's Jimmy Dore doing the, the right-wing pivot. Yep. There's no internal logic. No. It's just about viewership. It's just about continuing the online talking head game. Yes. And, you know, I think there are arguments to be made that that's a separate issue. But when it's to do with, uh, you know, virulent fascists and neo-Nazi ideology and white supremacist ideology, you can't help but see that as part of the same game the actual white supremacist or neo-Nazi or whoever is a part of, right? At the end of the day, if you're unwilling to not platform that, you've put yourself in a position where you are the same thing. 
Mm-hmm. And the outcome of that, giving cover to that, is so much more insidious in a certain way than someone like Fuentes, Fuentes is with his own show, where he just comes out and says, <laughs> you know, I love the Nazi party and I want to do this. Yeah. I love Hitler. Jews did 9-11. Exactly. Might as well just say it with your whole chest, what he's got of one. And yeah, <laughs> it's like guys like Destiny are being incredibly disingenuous. It's like, well, he's just being edgy. And how much, I don't know, maybe I'm old. Maybe this is like me just not getting it. But I don't know that just being edgy really qualifies as an excuse for any of this stuff. It doesn't in my mind. And, you know, anytime you have someone saying, I'm just being edgy to defend, uh, you know, an abhorrent anti-human and usually pretty genocidal point, you've crossed a bridge that, you know, for most people, uh, they don't even, it's not in their conceptual space (laughs) to like walk across that bridge and just do a song and dance the entire way that they're not actually doing it. Yeah. And, you know, you see so much with the internet culture of the right where it came from that, right? Like the, you know, it came from those roots, but now we seem to be going back to those roots and people still falling for it, or at least not believing that it's really happening. Yeah. And I can't believe that anymore. It, we've done this too long. There have been too many conversations both at the activist level and at like the institutional level almost of countering extremism and white nationalist, anti-white supremacist conversations that it's hard for me to believe that that is not a known, you know, just a known thing anymore. Right. It, it seems like how many times do we have to have this particular conversation before it becomes like they're just anytime they get called out, they're backing off for a little while and then they're doing it again. Yeah. Well, and I think we've seen, you know, partially we've seen that this stuff has become so normalized and mainstream that a lot of it has gone from being this edgy thing to just being in some cases, a a mainstay platform of the Republican base. Right. Yeah. And that, that really is where you can't even deny it anymore, right? Like we have the great replacement theory getting espoused on the stage of the RNC debates. Yeah, old Vivek Ramaswamy sure had something to say about that the other night. Exactly. And, you know, Ramaswamy is one of these guys who, if he was just an online, let's say, personality, he's going to take the, well, we just need to hear this out route every time. Yeah. And then turn around and say, well, well, it's true. And we need to believe it and we need to act on it. Yeah. So for me, you know, I I see this as one of those things where we've crossed so many bridges so fast in the normalization aspect of this kind of language that now, you know, the just joking around is about straight out Turner Diaries level conspiracy theory. Yeah. Yeah. And that to me is actually signaled one of the more concerning pivots. Yeah. And that's where we're at now is that like, this is stuff that these guys didn't say out loud a couple of years ago, even. And now they're at a point where they've just been emboldened. This is all out in the open now. I mean, this was a Republican. We know it's really a vice presidential debate, but it's a presidential (laughs) debate. That's how it's being presented here. And one of the legitimate candidates 
for this position is out here just blowing great replacement all oh, over yeah. the place. And people are just supposed to act like this is normal now. Well, yeah. And, and a lot of the party believes some form of it, right? Like there's so much tied into a conspiracy community that Tucker Carlson really yep. mainstreamed before he was taken off of Fox and is still, let's be clear, spouting as hard as he can on Elon Musk's Twitter. Absolutely is. So this has become a mainstay for the party in the same way that QAnon has. Mm-hmm. And they're linked in such a way where, you know, we're past some points where this would have been easier to push back on if people had chosen to effectively. Right. But instead, the ex-president really gave a nod and a wink to this in such a way that, like, it didn't even have a chance to not become what it's become in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. And nobody who was a devotee of this is going to change their mind because of the way Trump handled all of this. It got much worse under Trump. And now we're at a point where we're having to push back on this thing that's gotten just completely entrenched now. Absolutely. We're living in a world now where this is normal to the point where we no longer have some of the avenues that we would have even in 2020 to make sure this didn't go the whole route that it wanted to. Right. And now, you know, with Ramaswamy and others really having embraced this in the way they have and brought it to the masses. Right. We have a wholly different problem now that that's normalized, which is they're, they're trying to now normalize things that aren't just conspiracy theories, but are, you know, legitimately dangerous forms of hate speech that have historically led to massive problems. And, you know, I mean, everything from targeted shootings to, to bombing campaigns. Uh huh. And they're doing the same thing where they don't acknowledge that this is what's going on here. They step back and they're kind of like, well, haha, you know, this is just, we just said it. It's not really our problem. If somebody takes us up on it, it's like, you know, libs of TikTok, we're looking at you. This is, again, that same sort of, you know what's happening here. You know why you're doing it. You know what you're doing. Well, it's networked violence, right? Like, And we're starting to see the real use of networked violence and stochastic terror as a tool of one of the major parties in this country. And that, to me, is such an escalation that it can't really be downplayed in any other way. You know, and people don't want to talk about it in the way that I think it has to be talked about now, which is... We've come to a point where some of the more diabolical things that were so far fringe even 15 years ago, they were considered, you know, literal terror movements. Uh Now they're becoming more and more useful to one of the entire political parties in the country. Right, right. And, And I think what's really terrifying is that, like, people aren't getting that. People on the left especially aren't getting what some of these forces really are. And that scares me. That just frightens me that they can't look back, you know, 15, 20 years in history and see what some of these groups actually used to do when they had a little more of a platform. But now they've been rehabilitated. Yeah. To some extent on the right. Yeah. I would go so far as to say that we now have to kind of talk about the the Republican Party as a whole in the same way that we might have 
certain accelerationist groups 15 or 20 years ago. Yeah. And that's the part where like, I've started speaking on that a little bit more openly, but like when we get to a point where one of the party's goals isn't to govern, but is to cause destabilization of the government to the point where they can take control. Right. That's stuff that like we've, we've seen so many times before in accelerationist groups and in other countries where eventually something did tip over. Yeah. Yeah. Those things come together in a real unsettling way right now. And for the longest time, I didn't want to do that. I personally did not want to say the Republican party are a bunch of accelerationists, but I think it's looking very much more like there's a large accelerationist faction at the very best and they're going to win. They're going to win that argument. They're definitely trying, right? Like, and I think that, you know, we're seeing different forms of this. Like it's not the traditional Adam Waffen or siege reading cohort of, of neo-Nazis anymore. There, there are people like Rufo, right? Like Mm -hmm. I would count him in a stochastic accelerationist, right? Like he, Mm -hmm has set up a system where he understands enough about being able to break certain social and communal understandings of each other Yeah, in a way that he can not just mainstream things, whether it's the anti-CRT debate or the anti-DEI debate or the anti-LGBTQ debate. He's pushing a way to fracture our consensus ability to have a society, right? Yes. And he's he gloats about it. And mm-hmm. he, he fully admits it online and says that's his goal, right? Like the other day he posted, you know, a tweet about how racism no longer exists in the way that it once did because they don't, you know, the word has no meaning. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> and I, I don't believe that, but I think that it gets to the to his point, which is, if we don't agree on what this is, it fundamentally no longer works. And that is an exceptionally dangerous form, I think, of speeding up and accelerating mm-hmm. some of the things we've already seen. And when you have the ex-president kind of working in tandem with that to put out ideas about everything from troops on the ground in the United States to, well, I'm only going to be a dictator for a day, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Yeah. Those two work in concert in such a way that we really have to kind of look at it as a different entity than it was even in 2020. And they've made that clear that it's going to be a different entity in 2024. They've made that very clear. I mean, you think about it for a minute, he's got that statement about, I'm only going to be a dictator for a day. Well, how many days do you actually need to be a dictator? Yeah. Who says you can't get everything done on day one, you know? Yeah. Well, in dictator day one and saying the insurrection act and some of these other things that he's floating mm-hmm. and you couple that with the heritage foundation and the federalist society and, you know, things like project 2025, we're at a different place than we've ever been. And it, it is all in an effort to, not just run a different kind of government. It's the end of 
a government that we've understood to be the democratic union. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think the more I've read of project 2025, the more I understand that this is something that has been well researched to the point where they understand exactly the pressure points to hit all at the same time to upend the thing. Right. And the language they're using is in service to those pain points. Mm Mm-hmm. And the thing is, they've spent a lot of time researching. They've spent a lot of time doing that work of trying to see what exactly it would take to get these buttons. I mean, I'll be honest. One thing I kind of missed was when the issue of them beating up on trans people came up in the first place, I found myself thinking, there aren't very many trans people. They're going to just hammer this and hammer this. Is this really something that's going to win them an election? And then I realized, like, no, that's not why they're doing it. Yep. They have figured out the perfect boogeyman for their base. And that's what these people are. Exactly. And and they've started to combine boogeymen, right? Like, I think the thing we're seeing is this hybridization and understanding that they can say one thing and it means three things to the base. Yeah. And that's an extremely... Republican way of doing things, right? Like Rush Limbaugh and others really kind of understood that too, right? Like right. they could say certain key words and their base would all hear the thing they wanted to hear from it. Hardworking Americans. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's the thing, right? Like this coded language has been around long enough within the Republican Party and the right that it's a pick your own adventure for every listener. They've coached their listeners into hearing certain things even if they're not outwardly just outright saying you know like (laughs) the 14 words (laughs) right they don't need to anymore they know what these things mean and they know what they have to say to put that idea in your head they've repeated it so much that they don't need to talk about a future for white children they can talk about a great replacement theory and it becomes essentially the same thing to them exactly and i mean demographic the demographic change argument that tucker and others have really hammered on is just that in the language, uh, the mass appeal language, right? Mm -hmm. And that plays into the Great Replacement in a major way. Yeah. So along the same lines, there's a new movie coming out this spring. (laughs) And there were some trailers that dropped the other day, and I think we all probably watched the trailer, and it's a little unrealistic. (laughs) It's called Civil War. And 19 states have seceded, and somehow Texas and Florida have teamed up. Texas and California California have teamed up, and they're fighting the federal government. And it's just not terribly likely, but there's a whole lot of dark stuff in this trailer. We've got three-term president calling in airstrikes on American cities. We've got characters talking about how journalists get shot on site in D.C., and then a family being questioned at gunpoint about what kind of Americans they are. And, you know, maybe I don't know a lot about art. I'll buy that. But a movie like this just doesn't seem like a real great idea from where we are right now as a country. I mean, you know, I th- I, I've been thinking a lot about it because I've watched the trailer a couple times now and tried to kind of <sighs> see see if I saw the things I saw the first when I first saw it. Right. And, you know, I... Part of me thinks this is a continuation of the Red Dawn thing, right? Like right. this is the the great fear, right? In the same way that the original Red Dawn was like, 
we're scared of the the Soviets. Right. The Soviets are going to invade Colorado, and the local right. football team is going to have to go to the woods and fight them with bootleg AK-47s. Right. <laughs> In hunting rifles. If you haven't seen Red Dawn yet, you should really stream it at some point because, man, that's just a classic of Cold War paranoia oh. right there. Oh, it's Absolutely amazing. And, and it's, and it's you know, it's Swayze at his Swayzeiest, uh-huh. which is amazing. Yeah, it's peak Patrick Swayze, pretty much. So, yeah, yeah, two thumbs up. Go watch that. No, I think, though, the thing that really, I mean, you know, the second and third watching of the trailer, I saw a couple things that I thought were, I'm going to say interesting, but I mean that in the Midwest interesting, which is upsetting. <laughs> and, you know, there's a fair amount of, like, Boogaloo Boy stand-ins. There's some Hawaiian shirts with plate carriers. There are some very interesting choices let's say about what they how they're framing it right and you know without seeing the movie it's hard to know how they're going to fully push this but the the scene with the the family for example in the trailer you know that is so reminiscent of what we've seen in the the global south during revolutions and even during some of the more heightened moments here, we've seen strains of that. You know, I think about here in Minneapolis during the George Floyd uprising, mm-hmm. we didn't have checkpoints that were being run by right wingers, but we definitely had them showing up in mass to do kind of clandestine acts of, uh, for lack of a better word, terrorism, right? And then out West during the forest fires, we did see checkpoints start to show up right. that were manned by right wingers. Well, and in the Seattle, Washington area, there's a, a suburb across the water from us called Bellevue where there's mm-hmm. a whole lot of money and a whole lot of, shall we say, people who were not happy at all about the George Floyd uprising. And we did see checkpoints. We saw some of these people get together and like, patrol their streets in their neighborhoods with guns because they were worried that the big bad Antifa were coming for them. And I mean, it really bugs me this whole thing because these people, and again, these are people we've discussed ad nauseum, Alex Jones, Roger Stone, Jack Posobiec, Tim pool, all of these assholes have been pushing since early 2017, pretty much since the time Trump took office for a civil war. This is something that's been a very consistent theme in their messaging. They've been, you know, just agitating and agitating. There was November 4th. It begins every single time that there's been anything. They've tried to push this. And I think that a lot of people that might see this kind of don't really realize just how ugly this could get. I think that's exactly right. And I think that like most people don't understand what a modern civil war looks like in the context of a wealthier Western country, right? Because we haven't really seen one. Right. How could we? I would make the argument that the Maidan in Ukraine is the closest we've probably seen in 2014, where that, you know, suddenly you have little green men popping up, you have Uh checkpoints pop up, you have random shootings you have bombings that start to happen you know it's not straightforward right like there's no we're not going to break apart and it's going to be red and blue like it was in the civil war it's going to be well it's going to be urban versus rural i mean because that's where the divide is at this point absolutely you know you're going to be one thing in the cities and the minute you get 20 miles out of a major city that's where the checkpoints are going to be 
Right. And, and I mean, I think the thing I've thought about a lot is reading about Bosnia. Yes. And what happened where literally, you know, people's lives went on as normal until the lights went out and the shooting started. Yeah. And that's the reality of what a modern civil conflict looks like, right? Is suddenly you're at a staff party at your work and someone tells you, hey, we, we're not going to talk about that today. We're not going to talk about that right now. Stop saying that. Yeah. And, and like if you have some sort of, let's say, religious symbol that's being, you know. Othered. Othered or even, you know, truly vilified as we're already starting to see here, you know. It's going to be put that away. It'll be better for you. You don't want to cause trouble. Exactly. And it starts with language. It starts with the smaller things like that, that seem really kind of bizarre, right? Like it, it doesn't seem normal, but it also doesn't seem totally abnormal. It's just someone being like, hey, no, put that away. And then things tip over. And, you know, what I keep looking at here is how we're starting to check through boxes that are almost universal indicators, right? So democracy and movement as we are and have been since over the last, let's say, five, six, seven years, um, we've slid from a full democracy to an anocracy, right? That alone is a huge indicator. Democracies in transition are in real danger, especially when they're sliding backwards. Right. And then you couple that with factionalized elements, such as a religious faction gaining power or feeling that their power is threatened. Things start to tip even further towards really bad outcomes. Mm -hmm. And so those two we see pretty clearly, right? And then you have more indicators like the ex-president calling his opposition vermin. And you have a major chunk of that political party, the only other major party in the country, not just saying this isn't a problem, but following it up with, uh, but he's right. Yeah. And they've already spent so much time dehumanizing the other side. Yeah. I mean, it, it goes back to the anti-Antifa thing that Posobiec and that whole crew were pushing mm -hmm. right after Charlottesville and then especially during the uprisings around George Floyd's murder. Like, Antifa now is a, is a scare word mm -hmm. in Republican parties. Anti-fascism has been inverted in the right-wing bubble to mean fascism. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I have noticed more of, and it's not new by any but I've seen it come back into vogue with certain troll types online is if you're an anti-fascist, you're the same as a fascist. And this inversion, right. Right. the inversion, the simplification, the outright lie mm -hmm. is the point. You know, like it goes back to what we were saying about destiny and platforming Nazis. Like the outcome is the goal. Yeah. And it's dangerous to a point where like, the conversation's been had so many times why it's dangerous, but the reality is like this is the way that you don't just end the ability to understand something about it. You end the ability for people to act rationally about it. Yeah, yeah, and that's, I think, the goal as much as anything at this point is to just stop people from 
being able to make those kind of rational decisions based on the information that's out there. It's that reflexive control. We give you a set of facts and then we tell you, this is what's happening. You have to do this. Well, exactly. And the reflexive control part is the part that like no one outside of the countering extremism or academic side is really understood just the damage that does and how fast it works. Mm. And we've seen it since the beginning of the genocide in Gaza, how that reflexive control literally can turn huge groups of people on its head and really radicalize people in a significant way very quickly. Yeah, because you look back two and a half months ago before any of this started, we were not at each other's throats like this. No. Things were not good, but things were not what they are now. And we've gotten to that point where now things are just so cranked up, the level's so high. And it probably won't surprise you to hear this, but one of the absolute worst trolls of the 2017 Antifa era is now, I mean, this is, this is a guy who posted hail Hitler on more than one occasion is now posting as a pro Israel account and trying to push the, I'm a Zionist. Israel needs to just deal with these animals, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, okay, you're for chaos. You're for acceleration. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's just it, right? Like I, I think, I think I probably know who you're talking about. Yeah. You wore a red hat and ice cream cone, that guy? Yep, that's, yeah. That's that microchip guy? Hi, micro. Yeah, that's the same guy. Hi, micro. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hey, 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 Chip. We um, see you. We see uh, you. You know, one of those things, though, that I think has gotten lost in the chaos, right, is exactly that. This isn't just a massive and unfolding horror, like on the truly human scale of what's happening to the people of Gaza. We're in the middle of a mass radicalization event. Uh-huh. And it's accelerating because of people like that, because of people like Jackson Hinkle, because of I would even go so far right now as to say um the ADL under Greenblatt has done damage in a way that like is incalculable. Yeah, again, are they this stupid or is this something that they're doing kind of on purpose? Is this their shot? Well, I think it's power protecting power in certain cases and power trying to take on power in other cases. And then there's the chaos. And I think what we've seen, especially around campus stuff in the last, let's say, two and a half weeks, right, really outlines the fact that people don't know, in some cases, what they are getting themselves into when they get into bed with people like Mike Johnson, like some of the Christian nationalists who are also hardcore American Christian Zionists. And they are using this as a hybridized weapon to get into some of the areas that they've tried and failed to get into numerous times over yeah. the past 30 plus years. And now they think and see that they very well may have a window to do some real damage to these groups, institutions, and individuals that they have attempted to harm for decades. And, yeah. you know, yesterday, I believe it was yesterday, as of this recording, that like Jonathan Greenblatt and the ADL was retweeting Stefanik, 
<laughs> and you know, and literally like a thank you letter in the same way that he's done now with Musk and with others that we see as extremely dangerous far right instigators. Yeah. And if that were in a vacuum, that would be so dangerous that it can't really be understated. No. But in the current environment where we're seeing reactionary tendencies, not just coming out, but but truly solidifying in people who before probably wouldn't have fallen as far down the hole. You know, the reflexive control is strong and being led by people who do not have the best interest of anybody but themselves and those that they see as power players they want to be with, you know, having power. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really frustrating because I find myself thinking like whatever your thoughts on any of this are at least part of the goal is to check a lot of people out of the concept of democracy. Yes. A hundred percent. And you're getting to the point where a lot of people are ready to punt democracy because they're mad at Joe Biden for not being able to make Israel stop indiscriminately killing civilians in Gaza. And I think they don't really realize what that world's going to look like. Right. Well, and you know, I think, that's one of the things for someone in my position who's studied authoritarianism and mm -hmm. far right groups for as long as I have, like that really has me concerned looking at certain elements within the left and the elements in the right that have given that up years ago, because they're starting to have similar conversations where it's never worked for me. So why should we do it? Right. And, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, democracy is an agreement, and it's the conversation that happens between people who have a shared consensus of what should be. And pushing that apart in this way and wedging further and further into these fissures that were already there and mm -hmm. in some cases were there because of the original sins of American democracy, we, we're coming to a lot of inflection points that line up together in a bad way. Right. And, you know, a lot of what I've noticed is the more liberal side believes that that's some sort of Russian influence operation, which it's not in the way that they think it is. No. And there are a whole bunch of further left people, whether they're DSA all the way to hardcore, you know, Marxist Leninists who are younger. Mm hmm. And have never seen a democracy that functions in the way that it should. Right. And has in the past, even as flawed and as messed up as it's been. And so what they've done is they've given up on it. And mm -hmm. it's the same thing we saw in the 1920s and 30s in this country because of the Great Depression and some of the other things that had gone on. So it's not without precedent, but now we have the added caveat of, people who are using that dissatisfaction and disillusionment to further the hardest far right cause you could imagine mm -hmm. and get other people to check out to the point where that becomes more than just feasible, but gets into a likely category. Yeah. And it's very tough to get to those people. It's very tough to explain that at one point this was better. This can be better again. Yeah. But you got to go out and work for it every single time because now 
We've got an enemy that is prepared to go out and work for it every single time and has been for a number of years now. Yep. This didn't start any time recently. <laughs> no. You know, this no. really didn't. No. And I mean, you and I have had the conversation and I've had this conversation with a number of others, but like one of the things that the right has shown time and time again is they have an understanding of world building. Mm-hmm and imagining what they want in a way where they can then break it down into pieces and work through steps to achieve it. Right. That's something the left in this country and liberals in this country used to do really well is they would imagine better and then build something off of that that turned our country better. Yeah. And so when that happens, you know, those are some of the things that we really run into where we're going to have to imagine better first and then really work through that. And until we get to the point where we can imagine better and give people, you know, a competing version of the future that looks like something that they want to buy into, we're not going to win those arguments at this point. No. I mean, it's it's literally a failure of imagination. Right. In the classic sense, as opposition to the far right. I guess that would be my advice, to start thinking about how not only you want the world to look that would be better, but start thinking about how to describe that better world to people. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Start thinking about messaging and explaining, like, start thinking about how to sell it. Nobody wants to talk about that, but you got to figure out how to get people to buy into your version of this. Yeah, and we can and have the tools to build something that is truly remarkable and lives cl- up closer to the thing that we all have idealized as American democracy. We really do. Yeah. And we have an ability to build something that is so much better than what we currently have mm-hmm. and what we've had at any point in the past that we shouldn't be afraid of it. We shouldn't be cowed by the fact that it's going to be a lot of planting trees that we may never sit under. Absolutely. But our kids and our kids' kids will, and that's worth it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And that's something we just have to keep pushing for and keep talking about and keep screaming about if necessary. Exactly. Because if we don't, who does? The people saying that we need to build camps and roll the troops in the streets. Yeah. And we've seen what that looks like. No, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I keep thinking about Chile. Ooh. Yeah. And that is, I think, a real informative view for what we would have, unfortunately, if we don't imagine better and don't start working through a way to make steps to make it better. Thanks for listening to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast. If you want to hear more, you can find us on the web at didnothingwrongpod.com. Please make sure you subscribe to get our content straight into your inbox. You can also follow us on Twitter at GrizzaBJJ, G-R-Z-A-B-J-J, as well as DNWPod. We're extremely grateful for paid subscriptions and donations that allow us to keep doing this important work. Thanks, and remember, everyone mentioned did nothing wrong.